Hi, everyone. Welcome to Bell Curve. I'm Rachel Breyers. My co-hosts are Mary Scott Hunter and Elizabeth Shears. And today we are talking about linchpins, what it takes to become a linchpin, and the challenges and opportunities involved if you are one. So first, a definition. What is a linchpin, at least in the sense that we're talking about it today? Well, we've likely all known and worked with a linchpin before. So this is the person in your company or volunteer organization who's indispensable. The person who leads whether they have a title or not. The person who creates so much value that maybe they alone are worth five or more typical employees. I want to talk about this today because, y'all, we are living in really strange times. On the one hand, it's more important than ever to be able to adapt and make sure that you are valuable. A 2020 World Economic Forum report and 2021 research by McKinsey and Company predict that due to the pandemic acceleration of automation, 85 million jobs will be displaced by 2025, 97 million new jobs will be created by 2025, 40% of jobs that exist today will not exist in 10 years, and 375 million people may need to switch occupations and learn new skills. But on the other hand, there is currently a shortage of talent. Some would say a talent crisis. Companies are scrambling to find ways to attract and retain great workers, many of whom may be struggling with burnout. And, you know, if you're a linchpin, you may be struggling with work-life balance, with boundaries. So how does someone be indispensable but do so in a sustainable way? We are going to get into all of that in a moment. But first, Mary Scott, would you put in a word about reviews? I would love to put in a word about reviews because we got a great one. And I just want to read it out loud. I can't say it any better than it was written. And our, our Bell Curvy out there, she says, I love listening to Bell Curve podcast when I walk in the morning. The ladies get my brain started with some learning, self-reflection, and laughs. What a positive way to start the day. Every episode has a nugget for me, and just when I need to hear it. Wow, what timing. The many perspectives on each topic from the hosts and guests really gets you stepping into another shoes for just a few steps. Hope to be a Curvy for a long time. Keep it up, ladies. (laughs) Great review. Thank you very much for that. Nice, thank you. So y'all, Seth Godin wrote a book about, well, more than 10 years ago titled Lynchpin. It's a great book. I've got my signed copy on my desk. And he defines the term this way. He says, quote, the lynchpin is an individual who can walk into chaos and create order, someone who can invent, connect, create, and make things happen. Every worthwhile institution has indispensable people who make differences like these. So according to Godin, he says that they tend to have seven abilities, and those are, number one, they provide a unique interface between members of the organization, two, deliver unique creativity, three, manage a situation or organization of great complexity, four, lead customers, five, inspire staff, six, provide deep domain knowledge, and seven, possess a unique talent. So do you know anyone like that? Maybe you are like that out there. Well, I actually know someone like that, and she is a guest on our show today. Leah Crawford joins us. Leah, welcome to Bell Curve. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. I'm truly honored. 
feel very cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, Leah Crawford is Higher Echelon's Director of Operational Effectiveness and Analytics, and she's just a super passionate leader within the organization. Leah's career began in economic consulting after receiving her master's in economics from the University of Alabama. And since that time, she's developed into a very respected business leader, becoming the youngest member of the key leadership team at Higher Echelon. She's often asked to speak and advise in a number of other organizations. Her affinity for improvement, analytics, and learning have propelled her career and make her a truly invaluable player within the organization. So I have worked closely with Leah for more than a year now. She's a very special person, indeed a linchpin. And Leah, what I'd like to do today is have you walk us through your top do's and don'ts for becoming a linchpin, and then share some wisdom and maybe even some warnings about what to do once you are one. Yeah, no, I'm really happy to be here and to talk about this topic. You know, I have some some points that I've drafted and will certainly speak to, but as you were going through that definition of what a linchpin is, I really, really loved it. And one of the things that stuck out was the interfaces between interfaces between people in the organization. And I think it's so critical because one of the keys to being a linchpin is to be open, right? You have to be open to other people, to their ideas, and you can't have an ego or else you know, you'll never be able to be that unique interface. You'll end up being shut off to certain people and certain ideas, and that makes it really hard for you to grow. Um, And it actually feeds into my first do as far as tips to becoming a linchpin is raise your hand. Um, And what I mean by that is be open to other opportunities and new opportunities and new challenges. You know, when I started at Higher Echelon, I was a business analyst. That was my first role. And it was very different from the role I was playing in economic consulting But they offered me challenges and opportunities that were so outside of my wheelhouse and my lane, but I never said no, which, you know, (laughs) to be determined how successful that is. But, but, you know, I said, I've never done that before, but that sounds great. I'd be happy to help. Um, And if there was an issue, a problem that came up where they said, we really need to solve this problem. And I don't know who can do it. I would say, I'll figure it out. I said, I can, I think I can do this, bear with me, but I think I can do it. I think I can help. And through that experience, I was able to learn about so many different topics, interface with new people, kind of be open to new experiences. And it's kind of accelerated a lot of the growth that I've experienced. And that's particularly easier at a small organization. But I think within any organization, um, the more that you can say, I can try that, I'm open to that, I'm willing to support, I'm willing to help. Um, I think the more valuable you can become. And, you know, this is one of the, one of the things that I realized in doing that so often is your supervisors. And as I become a supervisor and a manager, your supervisors, they don't know what competencies you you have and don't have. They know the competencies that you directly support today. They know you can do the job function that you have today. And if there's a new opportunity, it might be hard for them to actually think about, Oh, this person would be great for this because they don't know that you're even willing to step into that space. So by raising your hand, you are saying, I'm willing, I think I have competency there and you're letting them know. And then on the flip side of that, kind of as a leader, you have to be open and willing to let them take on those challenges. So it's very two-sided relationship in terms of be willing to raise your hand and also be willing to receive help and receive, take on some risk there too. Um, let people join new challenges 
and you'll learn a lot about it and you'll be able, your team as a whole will grow. Um, but the one thing I, I have to caution with this point, which is so important, and this is where I personally struggle, is don't forget to lower your hand, right? You know, it's very easy when you're raising your hand for everything to become overfilled quickly. Um, and, you know, the best advice I can have for that is define your capacity. What is it? Because everybody has different capacities. Um, you know, for me, I'm a, a work-wise, you know, I can work maybe 50 hours a week, 55, but any more than that, I'm so tapped. And when I'm doing that consistently, I know there's an issue, right? And I keep track of it. And so being able to create a meter where you know you're in a red zone is so important. If you don't have that meter, you're going to bust it before it's all over with. Um, so it's just important to keep raising your hand to the extent that you have capacity, but know when to lower it, know when you're filled up, because then you're going to do a bad job altogether at anything. Nelly, I appreciate you putting in the piece about balance because I think it resonates with everyone that raising your hand is the start and having an attitude of, okay, I'll figure this out. I'm smart enough to figure this out. I can do it. I've, I've got the capacity. You know, trust yourself to do that. But, you know, there's pe- life stages happen and people are raising kids or keeping parents going and, you know, taking care of household tasks and, you know, dealing with health issues or whatever, a zillion things. And yes, you have to raise your hand because that's where it starts. But if you're raising your hand all the time, (laughs) you can quickly, you can quickly get to a point where you can't raise your hand at all. Absolutely. You're going to break a hundred percent. You're going to break. And, and the only way you can get around that is to plan for it. Right. Know, know that you have a capacity. Anyone who thinks they don't have a capacity is lying to themselves. Um, so know you have a capacity and plan for that. And take a risk. You know, take a risk sometimes. I mean, it, you might be thinking to yourself, I don't know if I can do that. But it's close. You know, chances are you can. If you've done hard things in the past and you're looking at something and you're thinking, ah, chances are you can do it. You can, yeah. you can work your way through it. Absolutely. I'm of the mindset that you can figure anything out. I've kind of got this, I'll figure it out mindset. And that's what I, that's what I tell people. I'll figure it out. And it actually leads really well into kind of one of the second tips that I have, which is just constantly learn, you know, learn, be curious, figure it out. Um, Cause you can't be open to new opportunities. You can't raise your hand if you're not going to be willing to put in the work that it takes to actually do those things and actually achieve those things. Um, you know, and there's so many ways that you can learn. I think a lot of people hear learning and they think, oh, I've got to go get a certification, you know, or I've got to go take some training or I have to go get a master's degree or whatever the case may be. And that's not true at all. I think the point is to find something that excites you and learn it and also learn from those around you. I think one of the best things about Higher Echelon, one of the reasons I've grown so much at Higher Echelon is because I've had an opportunity to learn so much from the people around me. I've been able to interface with these people and I, I mean, I will pause and say, tell me about what you do. Tell me about your day. I want to know so much about it. How do you do these things and just learn from their experiences. Maybe it's just a tool or quick tip that you learn through that experience, but at the same time, you're growing your skill set, and it's awesome. Um, And I, and I think, you know, the other thing too, is it, it should excite you. Learning should be something exciting. Learning actually is one of the most motivating factors that anybody has when it comes to personal growth. They're growing, they're doing something new and exciting. And if it's not exciting you, it's not feeding you and you should table that. 
right? Just because it might be aligned with your career path or it's set by your supervisor to say, oh, you should get this certification. If it's not exciting, you may be misaligned with it. And that's the best advice I could give to anybody. I have people come to me all the time that say, what search, what certificate should I get? What training should I take? And I say, well, my first question is, well, what do you want to do? What do you like to do? What excites you? And I kind of go through that. I'm like, well, if that's what you want to do, you don't even need a certificate for that. Just go and skill up in these areas and you'll be well on your way. Leah, would you say that people who like to learn are always hand raisers and hand raisers are always learners or are they mutually exclusive or is there, what's the, what's the, what's the relationship there? That's interesting. That's a very interesting question. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think there are a lot of people, I think people who are hand raisers are absolutely learners. I think that's the true relationship, but I think there are a lot of people who are learners that kind of keep to themselves and maybe don't want to step outside of their wheelhouse. And like you said, it's that risk tolerance. I think that's the separation uh, between people who are who are hand raisers often have a high risk tolerance and then therefore learn and go after it. There's a lot of people who are learners, low risk tolerance, and may not be willing to raise their hand. And you just kind of have to do it. I have a lot of girls on my team like this where they want to learn. They're constantly, what can I do next? What can I learn next? What can I do? But I'm like, speak up and raise your hand and ask a question at that meeting and offer an idea. And I have to coach them and struggle with them through that and say, plan it out. You know, the best tactic and advice I have for them is write down what you want to offer, practice it. And then when it comes up, it'll come out, it'll be over, your heart will stop racing, and you'll be fine. Yeah, on that point, another idea that Seth Godin has said a lot is that you can't wait for someone to choose you. You have to choose yourself. So what I'm hearing from what you're saying and just thinking again about how, you know, things that are going on now in the world and how technology is disrupting so many things, it's flattening a lot of organizations who are now looking to younger people to have that dexterity with technology or some innovative ideas that maybe they don't have. So there's a lot of opportunity for people to raise their hand, but it takes it takes them being willing to choose themselves. So what are your thoughts on that idea? Because you were one of the youngest ones to rise up to a key position. What was that like? Did that come naturally to you? Did you have to overcome your own fears? So me personally, no, because I'm just probably an endless outspoken person. And that's just my personality. But I absolutely agree with the point that I had to advocate for myself. I had to kind of use that to my advantage. And there were times where you know, I said, no, I, I don't think that's what I do. I think I do this and I think I bring this value and this is where I fit within the organization. And I had to, I had to advocate for that. Um, and, you know, you're absolutely right. It kind of goes back to that. You are the only person who knows all of your competencies. You are the only person who also knows your capacity and your abilities. So you have to speak up and let that be known. Otherwise, people won't know to tap you. People won't know or to not tap you right? It has to be clearly communicated. And, you know, that can be tough for people who aren't as naturally outspoken as I am, but, you know, you can practice it. There's skills, there's, there's things that you can do to kind of get more comfortable advocating for yourself, speaking up for yourself, um, and, and just offering any ideas or questions you may have. Leah, on the, on the learning piece, I'm sure because I've been at this point in my career when I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to learn anything. I'm so sick of learning. (laughs) I think though that you just really can't do that. I mean, you, 
you can't let yourself. I mean, if you, you know, maybe there's a day or two or three or a week or whatever, there's circumstances that take you to that place, but you, you can't stay there because if you do, you're not improving. You're not, you're never going to be the one to raise your hand. And I just am, but I'm th- I guess I'm thinking to myself, this presupposes that somebody wants to learn. And I think maybe the harsh reality is if you're a person who doesn't want to learn that, that equates to not getting ahead. You can't get ahead unless you're willing to learn and, and you gotta risk. Grow. the industry is growing. The industry is adapting. The market moves. That's true. The market's always looking for an edge. Nothing stays flat. And if you're not willing to kind of move with the market and learn with the market and just skill in ways that are interesting to you, you won't grow. And if that's fine, that's totally fine. But, you know, the point you made about, I just don't want to learn. I just don't, I don't want to do it today. I'm not interested. The other thing that tells me is that you're at capacity. You're at capacity. You need space. If you don't have space to be interested, I have been in this space. I love a hobby of mine is to cook. I love to cook. I love to learn new recipes and new techniques. It's my favorite thing. And there are days where like I, I've been so burnt out or so over capacity where I just couldn't even, I like couldn't even think about it. Don't want to learn it. Don't want to watch anything about it. And it tells me I have capacity. I'm not doing the things that I want to do. I'm not doing the things that spark interest in me. Um, and, and you kind of got to figure that out. That's a sign to rebalance. And if it sustains, let's say you go on for some time and you're thinking, no, I don't want to learn it. Could that mean you're not in the right, right line of work? That's what, that's exactly what I would, I would guess. Yeah. If this is something where everything you're learning is just pouring you to tears and it's just hard to stay motivated. You're not connected to that thing. I have a great friend who told me once she's a psychologist and she told me once, that people who are not motivated are not connected. They don't have connection. And if you're not connected to something, then you will not be motivated by that thing. Um, so if it's just tough for you to get motivated to learn about it, you're not connected to it. And and that's something to figure out. So that's the do then is learn. Is there a don't? My don't is don't forget that learning is about you. That that's It's all about what excites you, what sparks you and your career path. Again, we can get so caught up in well, what does my job want? What are my, what are my friends and my peers? What are they doing? And all of that is helpful. It gives you ideas, but it's not the core of learning. Learning is about you and your growth. And, you know, it's up to you also to kind of take ownership of that. That's, that's the piece where you've got to own where you want to go and why you want to learn. And sometimes it happens really organically and you stumble into that. And that's fantastic too, but you, it's about you. Don't forget that. I think about some of the people that are in my life that I've been privileged to know who learned literally almost up to the day they died. They were always learning. They were always reading books, even even long past their careers, long past their, you know, their earning years. Their, they, were, they were just constantly learning and interested in learning and it kept them fresh yeah. because they always took that approach that their best days were ahead. You're really onto something there about that. It defeats that human condition of feeling like everything's sliding in the wrong direction. Yeah, people always associate learning again with your career, which is very important for that. And I think that's I think that's great. But there's so many other ways to learn and to grow. And we discount those things as not important or not not relevant to my job. So we don't prioritize them. But they're so important, especially, you know, 
growing into new things, being able to raise your hand in new arenas, you got to learn those things in those new arenas and kind of be open to that. It all connects. So what's take us to the next one then, Leah? Yeah, I mean, so going back to kind of similar to learning and raising your hand, uh, part of that is to also offer up good ideas, right? So when you have a good idea, raise your hand and offer that. Raising your hand is more volunteering. I'm open to this opportunity and to solve this problem. Offering up a good idea is, hey, I have an idea to solve this problem. And that's what really can be the defining moment of making you a bit invaluable at an organization, creating a swim lane, creating a channel that you've established because you had a creative idea to solve a problem or to exploit an opportunity, whatever the case it may be. And, you know, doing so just establish, I mean, it adds so that's where it adds value, right? That's where you can really add value into an organization. Say, I think this would make a difference in a certain way. But one of the things that you have to do um, when you're offering up a good idea is take note for what it's worth, right? So you're going to offer up a good idea and sometimes people get scared because they're going to hear no. Well, A, expect it. Uh, B, take it for what it's worth, which is a starting point. Everybody hears no the first time. Everybody hears no probably even a second time. But the truth is it's a starting point. And I kind of treat all of my ideas like like startups, like business ideas that are that I want to get off the ground. And I go and I build support around it. I, I'm probably, I'm probably an oversharer when it comes to my ideas. Probably everybody's heard about one of my business ideas, like actually. Um, but I overshare, I build support and I say, wouldn't it be great if we did things this way? Or wouldn't it be great if we had this organization that functioned in this manner? And I built support and I said, oh, that would be a great idea. And then I get their feedback, incorporate it, and it all evolves into a point where people can get on board. And, you know, the other piece to offering up a good idea is to make it feasible, to make it tangible. A good idea is a great idea unless it has legs, right? Um, so having a plan for how it'll actually work matters. Um, but at a certain point, once you've offered up ideas and built support and eventually you get to yes and goes, where you can struggle is becoming a bottleneck for, for those channels that you've created, right? If you've created so many good ideas, established so many different lines of effort, and you were the person who cultivated, it can be hard to let go, right? This is your idea. This was your baby. And then you become a bottleneck. So it's really important to think a little bit more high level and a little bit more organizationally about certain initiatives and certain channels about how they grow, how do they sustain, and how do you step out? Because again, that growth piece, you've got to find a way to, to maneuver out of that and let it align naturally with the organization and its growth. I think a lot of people myself included, struggle with that, Leah, where you have a vision, you'd love to delegate or hand off responsibilities, but sometimes you feel like, well, if I don't do it, is it going to get done right? And, you know, is it going to go off the rails? And maybe you don't even want to burden someone else. You think, well, this was my idea and it takes a ton of work. I don't really want to ask for help because they're already full up. So how do you get that buy-in? How do you allow yourself to delegate? How do you you let go? Yeah, I mean, the best thing, the best advice I have is to, again, create a plan. I'm probably going to say that 17 times, but be deliberate, right? Think about it. Say, how, how could this work without me? What does this person need to do? Write it down and then train. You know, I think the best thing that you can do is train and set your expectations. At the end of the day, it's not without risk. It's not without risk to let something go and say, hey, you're going to do this and I'm going to trust you to do this 
and here's all of my guidance and here's all of the expectations that I have. Um, and if it doesn't happen, at least you've communicated that and you have something to measure it to. Um, but it, I mean, it, it's hard. It's really hard to let something go. That's, that's your baby, your brainchild. Um, and you know, you just have to also find people you trust. I think that's key too. Um, making sure that you have trusted resources is, is helpful. Um, and it just makes that risk equation less. Leah, do you have any advice on the ideas front for when you're in that situation where you think, I don't have any good ideas or nobody's listening to my ideas when I say them or I'm nobody cares. I mean, what's going on? Because that happens to everybody. I love that you asked this question because it brings up a point I wanted to make. The key to having a good idea is to have a solid understanding. You're not going to be able to offer up a good idea if you don't truly understand what's going on. If you don't understand whatever the issue is or whatever the environment is or whatever circumstances or context you're kind of within to offer up good ideas in, if you don't understand that very well, um, you'll never be able to have a good idea. Every good idea is born out of some type of situation. Somebody doesn't have like sit around one day and says, oh, you know what, we'll solve the uh, biomarine problems. No, they're in that world. They're living in that space. They're under, they understand it so deeply. They've defined an issue. That's the other key. The best way to solve ideas is to solve a problem, right? I mean, that's the easiest way to do it. Solve a problem that people are having, but you have to define those. You have to understand it. And it does take a lot of digging deep and kind of some introspection and it can be tasking, so what advice do you have, you know, somewhere out there in our listeners, among our listeners, uh, there's somebody that is an idea fairy and they are probably not understanding either themselves or the situation or there's some disconnect. And if you suspect you might be an idea fairy or you're dealing with an idea fairy, uh, and that really gets into more of the, the bottleneckers, you know, they're you know, an idea fairy isn't somebody that offers up because your, your advice is offer up good ideas. Right. Oh, absolutely. Not lots of crappy ideas. So for the lots of crappy idea, idea fairies, what, what, what advice would you have for them? Yeah. I mean, I think if you are an idea fairy, the best advice I have is to get feedback. The first way that you can shoot down your idea and poke holes in it and realize that maybe you don't understand a situation is to ask somebody else. And that's why I tell everybody my ideas. If I have a good idea, I tell it, I explain it, I let them shoot holes in it, and I almost always come up with a different way to think about it. Um, and if you're dealing with someone as an idea fairy, give them honest feedback. We can we can tend to be uh, as friends and as colleagues say, "Yeah, that's a great idea," and and just kind of brush it off, not deal with it, not my problem. But you know, give them honest feedback and and truly poke a little bit pride and say. Well, had you considered this, but what about this situation? My most valued friends and peers are all, never give me, they never say that's a great idea in the first, uh, first pitch, right? They're like, well, tell me about how that would work. That's almost always the question they ask me. Well, tell me about how that would work. I mean, does it consider this or does it consider that? And they ask questions and I have to, I have to defend my idea. And if I can't defend my idea, it's trash. Throw it out. You know, I think when you talk about that, I'm thinking of, you know, someone who becomes a linchpin who is indispensable enough to rise and lead other people has to master the skill that you just said, which is the ability to encourage others, 
but not just be fluffy and not help them along their trajectory of growth. So I love that you sound like you not only value and model how to take good feedback, and you're not asking for people just to say, oh, that's a great idea, Leah. You know, you, you want the actual feedback, but that you've learned and you practice giving good feedback. So what, what specific more advice would you give about cultivating that skill if you tend to be somebody who it's just uncomfortable to you to do that? Yeah, I think giving good feedback all comes from truly listening, active listening, right? Um, And being present in that moment. And sometimes people who struggle with feedback struggle with listening. Um, And you have to really be considerate about what that person's saying and where they're coming from and why they're saying what they're saying. I mean, and everything that goes with that and, and, you know, kind of adjust your feedback for those, those factors as far as if they are, if they're super excited about it, but they've clearly not thought much through it, the last thing you want to do is trash their idea and say, that's a horrible idea. They're going to feel immediately defeated and it could be just a weird dynamic. Um, so you may have to come at it a little bit more delicately and again, say, well, I'm curious about this point, you know, break it down into little chunks um, that ease and can, are considerate of where their mental and emotional space is. Um, but again, active listening and being perceptive to that is key. All right. So give us your other tip. So probably my, my, my last tip is um, internally network. So especially within an organization, if you want to become a linchpin, if you want to become one of these people who, you know, interface with a lot of unique, different elements of the organization, have a recognized leader, those things, you've got to internally network. And that's so key to all of the other pieces of advice that I've given um, so far today. It's key to learning. If you internally network, you can learn from these people and find things that excite you. It gives you more opportunities to raise your hand and say, oh, yes, I can support that. And it also gives you a network to build support from. So if you're going to offer up a good idea, you have to build that support somewhere and you internally network. Um, and this can be really tough for some people, um, especially people who may tend to be a little bit more shy. How do I internally network? They wait for organic opportunities. And especially in today's world with COVID, there are no more organic opportunities. It just doesn't happen. You get on a call, there's 10, not 10 minutes, maybe five minutes of awkward, small chatter. And then the call ends and you go back to your work. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I've always given the advice, find somebody who interests you in the organization schedule a meeting with them and treat it like an informal interview, write down questions that you want to ask of them. And the best question you can get started with is tell me about your day to day, right? Tell me, what do you do every day? I'm very curious about your job and your role. Will you tell me about that? And then look for opportunities in that conversation to advocate for what you do and to bring your competency. Oh, that's really interesting. I've done something similar in this project, or I've done something similar Um, you know, with a friend here or whatever the case may be, or I learned that in college, you know, whatever, whatever the circumstances are, look for those opportunities to offer up your experiences, your competencies and connect. And then you build that network and it'll do so much for you within the organization. Uh, my, My big don't when it comes to the networking piece is don't forget to externally network. So there's an internal organization that you live within but don't forget that there's this world that exists beyond your organization. And there's so much to learn from that world too. I cannot tell you how many times 
I've gone to a happy hour and talked to some of my professional colleagues about their organizations and some of the way they do things and said, aha, there's my good idea. This will work so well in my organization. And I bring it back to the table and say, listen, this is how other people are doing business. And I think we should do the same. And it, and it works, right? Um, so externally networking is so important to just even being a valuable player in your own organization. It helps you grow as a person. It also helps you be more connected to a larger purpose. Because sometimes when you're internal in an organization, you can feel very connected to that purpose, but you don't see the bigger picture. Um, so I encourage everybody, you know, get involved. Do a volunteer organization would be great. Um, go to a professional happy hour. Um, anything like that uh, that can just feed you externally is so important. You know, Leah, I was, as you were talking about this, I, it was interesting what you didn't say. And I think if COVID has taught us anything, linking into people through your social networks is great. Zooming or Facebooking or whatever, however you connect with people on, on social media platforms. But everything that you just said was about a conversation with a real person. And I thought that was really interesting. And I think if COVID has taught us anything, when we have opportunities to have those real interactions, they're like gold. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The best way to get to know people is through verbal communication. It's so hard. You're so in your head. Who's written? I've. You know, it takes me like 30 minutes to write an email because I write it and rewrite it a thousand times. <laughs> we all do that. I did not exactly. know you did that, Leah. <laughs> Exactly. Every time. And then Rachel, you're still probably so surprised with how many typos come up in my emails, but you know, it's just, it's so organic to have a conversation with someone and you can do that still virtually, um, you know, just be prepared for it. Just be prepared that it's going to start off a little awkward, maybe have some priming questions, um, just to get it going, uh, and, and then have those conversations. It's great. We do. I'm, I'm part of a. Um, I'm part of a professional networking group, Women of Federal IT, and we do virtual happy hours. And they can be a little awkward at first, but there's usually some type of structure to get people talking and get a converse, you know, icebreakers, and they're great. And I've learned. I've met so many people, and I've learned so much from those events. Leah, I want to come full circle to Seth Godin, because one of the things that he says can keep someone from becoming a linchpin is letting their internal, I don't know, he calls it the lizard brain. We all have things that keep us from being our best. Maybe it's fear of what other people think. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's shyness. I don't know. There's a host of emotional, mental, practical skills that can either enable or keep us from offering up our best work. So I'd love to ask you, do you have any gremlins or lizard brain that you've had to overcome over the years? What would you say to somebody who is trying to get past their own things, keeping them from being their best? Yeah, for me personally, I've struggled always with, you know, saying no. I raise my hand too often um, and that gets me in trouble. I mean, truly over capacity and not doing a good job at any of the things that I've signed up for because I'm just doing too much. And I have a lot of friends that are like that, that struggle with it. And, you know, you just have to be deliberate again about your capacity and what you can take on. Um, and I've, that's been something I've learned over the years is just knowing when to say no and kind of practicing that, having tactics for saying hey, I can't do this right now, but I could do it in a week, right? Things, you know, my thing is I struggle to say, I feel like I'm disappointing someone if I'm saying no. So I have to have tactics to softly say no, right? Um, and, and then the other thing I think is advocating for yourself. I think one of the things that a lot of 
you know, women particularly struggle with is advocating for themselves and realizing their value. And I struggle with it hundred percent of the time. Like it's not something that comes easily or naturally to me. Um, and I have to do a lot of, I mean, I'm going sort of research paper on myself. What value does Leah add to this organization just to give myself that confidence that I need to say, no, I am worth it. And this is also where your peers and your friends can come in so handy um, because they will tell you, they will tell you and your closest peers and your closest friends will be honest with you. And they will let you know if they think you are undervalued and if they think you need to advocate for yourself. Um, and you just have to take those moments and, and really own it and try and get over the, um, what is it? Imposter syndrome. I mean, we all have, I have imposter syndrome daily and get over that for a moment and really own your space and be clear about what you want. The other advice I have to anybody who might be, one of the things I don't struggle with is shyness. Um, but to anybody who might be struggling with that or even struggling to figure out where they want to go. I mean, the best thing I do is pick a role model. I always think about who are the women that inspire me. And I pick women deliberately because I'm a woman and it matters to me to find another woman that inspires me so I can try and model my behavior off of them. And I do that. I'm a copycat. If there's anything you can learn about me is I'm a big copycat. And I think about these women who inspire me and they're like CEOs and these executive business leaders. And I watch the way they carry themselves. I go and I, I creep on their LinkedIn profile and see everything that they've done <laughs> and all of the jobs that they've had. And I, and I, and I just try and be deliberate and what would they do? I mean, it's kind of creepy. I, I pray for these women. <laughs> you, you heard it here first on bell curve go, give, as a, go be creepy. It'll, it'll help your career. <laughs> exactly. Go be creepy. Creep on these women. Oh, no, I, I, I totally get that. I, I, we've talked about it a lot here on bell curve and you know, watching shows with strong female role models, watching movies with, you know, you know, Marvel female superheroes. It's it, it, um, you know, and certainly the real life superheroes in business. I mean, all that really can inspire you and give you, give you your own pathway. It makes such a difference. The silliest story I have about this is I don't play tennis. I played tennis three times in my life, maybe. And we're watching the U S open or one of, I think it was Wimbledon actually. We're watching Wimbledon and these people are just crushing it on the uh, on the tennis court and I suddenly tell myself I'm like I can do this I can go play tennis <laughs> I want to go play tennis and just as I'm watching these women do this amazing things I'm like I'm about her size there's no I can do this and I go and I go to the court and I have the best game of tennis I've ever played all because I was literally modeling what I think what I saw them do in that moment and it was so silly I couldn't replicate again, but if I am ever going to go play a match of tennis, you best believe I'm on YouTube watching these women play tennis before I go. And it's this, it's the same thing in business. I watch, I watch videos of these women. I watch the speeches they do, the things that inspire them and uh, copy. You know, it occurs to me just how powerful too, like it's inspiring to watch people succeed but it's so inspiring also to know where they struggle and where they started from. So like to hear you say that you have struggled with imposter syndrome, I didn't know that. That means so much to me because I have. And to see how you how you say you struggle with it every day, I, I would never guess that. But it just makes me be able to put into perspective even more how you're able to lead and shine through that. Very inspiring. Oh, good. Um, I'm glad I can be inspiring, but it's just 
it's just one of those things where we all struggle and you have to, you have to, you know, know what you want and overcome it. Like that, that's, that's what, that's key too. I think that is very key, knowing what you want and overcoming it um, and overcoming whatever those lizards are. That's the only way that you're going to get over whatever, that's the only way you're going to get past it. Well, thank you all for listening today. This has been awesome, Leah. Thank you again for joining us. Bell Curve is brought to you by Higher Echelon. Higher Echelon is an award-winning Salesforce implementation partner. So if you are struggling with Salesforce, maybe because you don't have time to figure out its many complexities and make sure that you're actually getting the value out of the platform that you know is there, reach out to Higher Echelon. Salesforce does not have to be so hard for you and your organization. Let the pros come in and quickly get you up and running and achieving all of those benefits that Salesforce offers. Please share this podcast with a friend and let us know what you think by leaving us a review. Consider supporting us at patreon.com slash bellcurvepod. We will see you next time. Thank you again.